You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Today is Easter Sunday, and Pastor Kirk is bringing a powerful message from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, entitled, Death to Life. At the conclusion of the message, be sure to stick around to learn more about North and how you can be a part of all that God is doing right here in Marietta. But for right now, we hope you enjoy today's message. morning and happy Easter once again. I'm glad you are here for those that are in the room, those joining us online. So glad you are joining us today. If you've got your Bibles, would you take them and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. While you're turning, just want to let you know that we, we are going to begin a brand new sermon series next week, and it's, uh, uh, the title of it is Don't Take My Word For It. Um, we're going to look at three different things and go kind of in-depth on those. So we're going to look next week at the resurrection of Jesus, and we're going to look at We believe that. We're here today. But how can you have confidence in that? What are the biblical records, the historical records that talk to the truth and veracity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Also, the next week is, why is Christianity, of all the options that are out there, why is Christianity the way? How do we know that? How do we know that the Bible is accurate in those things? And then the final week is, of all the things Christianity is about, it's being led by the Holy Spirit, and feeling the presence of God in your life. How does the Holy Spirit operate in our lives to lead us and guide us? So this over the next three weeks, hope you'll be a part of that as well. In Ephesians chapter 2, in just a moment, we're going to read that, and we're going to talk about how God brings us from death to life. But first, let me pray for us. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible sense of your presence that's in this place. Thank you for the reason that we gather, that Jesus is alive forevermore. I thank you that as we open up your word, your word will sink down deep into our hearts, into our minds and our souls, and do the change that you want to do in us. Anoint these words you've given me to say as they go forth, and on our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, so that you may accomplish your perfect will, and we'll be careful to give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In 1969, there was a man who was 47 years old at the time who had risen to almost the height of leadership and influence, the highest heights. He was appointed a special counsel to the president of the United States. He would give him legal advice. He would take care of things for the president. His name was Chuck Colson. And Colson was known as President Nixon's right-hand man. I mean, he was the one that helped him with policies, that helped him understand legal matters. He was the one that ran interference when Nixon was having difficulties with some. As a matter of fact, they once called him, he was so effective at taking care of Nixon's problems, they called him Nixon's hatchet man. He was at the height of influence. He was in the White House controlling or or advising and helping to understand and lead the leader of the free world. And then there came a scandal called the Watergate scandal and the cover-up that ensued. That scandal caused President Nixon to resign from office and to become the only president in United States history to ever resign from office. Chuck Colson was indicted for false testimonies and crimes associated with it, and eventually went to jail for his crimes. In the time period between his indictment and his jail term, a man shared Jesus with Chuck Colson And he surrendered his heart to Jesus Christ and began to change his life. As a matter of fact, in 1976, Colson founded a ministry called Prisoner Fellowship. 
this ministry was all about reaching prisoners with the gospel of Jesus Christ, trying to tell them, whatever you've done, you're not too far gone where Jesus can't reach you. Colson has now died, but Prison Fellowship International is now still in over 120 countries. It is the largest and most effective prison outreach anywhere in the world. How does the president's hatchet man go to being the founder and leader of the largest prison ministry outreach in the world? He had an encounter with Jesus, and it changed everything. The Bible tells us about a man who was named Saul, later to be called Paul. This man was rising through the leadership of Jewish society and the religious leadership. He was rising up in influence. He was there when Jesus was crucified. This man was there when the first martyr, the first person to give their life for refusing to deny Jesus, the man's name was Stephen, he was there. The Bible says that he gave his consent and that he held the coats so that other people could take stones and literally pummel this man and beat him until he died. He was given letters by the Jewish authorities and permission by the Roman government to go and persecute the people who followed Jesus. He was given permission to pull them out of their homes, to arrest them, to beat them, even to have them executed in certain, in certain areas and for certain reasons. This man was the most effective persecutor of the church. And then something happened on a trip where he was heading to a city called Damascus. The Bible says he has an encounter, and that encounter was with Jesus. And immediately it changed his life. And it changed it to such an extent that Paul became the leading missionary of all the missionaries. Traveled more miles than anyone else. Probably preached more sermons than anyone else. Planted more churches than anyone else. And wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. How does the persecutor of the church go to the leading missionary of the church? An encounter with Jesus changes everything. This man, Paul, writes to a group of people that live in a town called Ephesus. And in a letter that is simply entitled Ephesians, he starts to tell them about the change that is needed and takes place in their life and in our lives so that God takes us from our past to our future, from death to life. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, he said, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Isn't it interesting that a man so radically changed reminds each and every one of us of an important truth, and that is that we all need God. We all need God. 
And the reason we need God is because we are separated from God. And what separates from God is, us from God is sin. Now, the easiest way to understand sin, it's not about a list of things that you've done or not done. Sin literally separates us from God. God is holy, we are not. There's no way to become holy without God, without Jesus. And so sin is what separates us from God. So understand this. There are no levels of sin. There aren't this level of sin, and then there's this level, and then, you know, there's this level. The reason you know that is if sin is separating us from God, it doesn't matter if it's a small river that separates you from someone and you can't get across, or it's a vast ocean that you cannot get across. Separation is separation. And we are all in need of God, all of us. Now, we tend to think differently. We tend to think differently out of two reasons. We tend to think that sin is different either out of arrogance or out of guilt. When it's arrogance, we think that our sins aren't that bad, so we don't need a whole lot of grace. When it's arrogant, we think, well, I'm going to live the best I can, and hopefully my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. And yet, the reality is, unless I find Jesus... I'm separated from him. Paul tells us that he used to live this life. And he said, I literally used to live the life that I thought was right. And it turns out it was wrong the whole time. He lists out all the things in a book that he writes to the Philippian church. And he says, here's all the reasons and the criteria I thought I was living right. And the interesting part is, you go back to the first part. He says in Ephesians, he basically says, listen, you know why we're confused? It's because the devil is confusing us to thinking what we think is right, but it's actually wrong. Paul in Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 5, he says this. He says, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. What, what he's referring to is hundreds of years earlier, the Assyrians and the Babylonians came in and invaded Israel. And the Assyrians, took both of them took Israelites away and made them serve as slaves, and they eventually came back. But the Assyrians moved their people in and told them to intermarry with the Israelites so that they would um, dilute the Israelite blood. Paul is of the group that he traced his heritage. This is bold and brave. I traced my heritage all the way back. None of that happened, so I'm pure-blooded. That's what he's saying. He said, if anybody had a right to claim it, I had a right to claim it. But notice... He's not bragging. He's listing out the reasons why he thought he was right with God. He goes on and says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. He said, I I used to live this way. I used to think this was the way I should do. This was the way I should live. But I was living my life all wrong. The criteria I was basing my life and my standing with God was completely wrong. And he continually reminds us that if we base our standing with God on how we view ourselves compared to other people, we're always, always going to get it wrong. I'm not going to ask you. No one admitted it in the last service, so I won't even ask you, okay? You can be safe. 
There are a lot of people in this room probably that watch reality TV, right? Do you know why we watch reality TV? It's because we see it and we go, man, my life is kind of messed up and it can't get any worse. And then we turn something on and go, yep, it could. I'm good. I'm better. But we make ourselves feel good because we compare ourselves to other people. Listen, you can always find somebody worse than you. It's a common refrain. When I was in college, I had to take a class called business statistics. I had to take stats one and stats two. Um, how many of you do not like statistics? Let me see your hands. Okay. How many of you like statistics? Let me see your hands. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be on you all. I took this class, and my teacher was tough. I mean, it was hard class. I, was, I just felt like I'm not learning anything at all. And then I started talking to people around me, people I thought were smart, and they're like, no, I'm not learning anything at all. We had two tests, a midterm and a final. After the midterm, I got my test score back. You ready? I made a 27. <laughs> not out of 30, out of 100. I thought to myself, you can't try to do worse than this and do worse than this. And then it was so confusing. I looked at the top of the page, and it said B minus. A B minus? Are you kidding me? So I looked over the guy next to me who was a lot smarter than me, and I said, what did you get? He said, I got a 35. And I looked at his paper. It said A. I'm like, what kind of bizarro world are we living in? And so then I realized we weren't being graded in reality. We were being graded on a what? Curve. On a curve, which means everybody stunk at this test. And so you just take the certain top percentage, they get A's, the next percentage get B's, the next percentage get, and it goes on down. I mean, I don't know how low you got to get to fail, but somebody was there on the curve. <laughs> just graded on the curve. So when I finished this class, final was the same way. It was terrible. When I finished this class, the professor on the way out said, hey, I hope you enjoyed the class. Hope you learned something. And my filter didn't work back then. And I said, this was terrible. I didn't learn a thing. He said, but you got to be. I said, great. But now I got to take stats two from that other guy, and I don't know stats one now. The problem with arrogance is it always wants to look at somebody else's sins. We see the minor sins as usually the ones we commit and the major sins that other people commit. Come on, somebody. Yes. And then we grade ourselves on a curve. Amen. When in reality, all sin separates us from God and we are in need of God desperately bad. When we compare ourselves to other people, or when we listen to the wrong voices trying to tell us what we should do. When I was in high school, I took driver's education. It was a class that was offered during school. And um, back then, sounds antiquated, I know, um, we went to, the, the stadium was right there and had a big parking lot. 
and it's where the band practiced. So they had this big tower there that the band director would get in and they would do their formations and everything. Well, this was where we also did driver's education. They would set up obstacles and different things. We'd drive through parallel parking, figure eights, all this kind of stuff. And so when uh, we were out there, we were um, supposed to be tuned in. So we would, uh, in our cars, um, the, the, he was our PE teacher, PE teacher and the driver's ed. And so he would communicate with us. So we would have to get in the car, put the radio on AM. For any of you that are under 20 years old, just Google AM, okay? <laughs> it was a certain section of stations, and we were to turn in to a certain station, and he could communicate. He'd tell us what to do. And a lot of times he would say, hey, I want you doing this. There were 12 of us. He'd say, I want you doing this. I want you to go over here. I want you to practice over here. And we'd just do what he said. And then there were some times he would just say, all right, free time, go kind of do whatever challenges, obstacles you want. Well, on this day, he said, hey, I don't have a lot for you to do today, so it's pretty much free time unless I tell you differently. I didn't, he- I didn't hear the words unless I tell you differently, I guess. So I heard it's free time. So I just started driving my car. And I thought, well, if it's free time, I don't need to listen to him anymore. So I turned my radio to FM and started listening to the favorite rock station. I'm having a blast. So I'm just going around doing my thing, and then all of a sudden, what I don't know is he comes back on the radio a little later, and he says, all right, follow the leader, which means he's going to designate one person as the leader, and every other car is supposed to follow them everywhere they go in whatever obstacle. He made me the leader. <laughs> I don't know this because I've tuned, I've tuned out. And so every car starts following me. I'm jamming out. I don't even care. I don't know what everybody's doing. So I decide I'm going to attempt what is called the figure eight, this concrete barriers. And a figure eight is when you take your car, the barriers are set this way, and you loop it around, and you come back around, and you come back around. This works great all the time unless you've got 11 other cars following behind you. (laughs) As I'm looping in and go to the top and start to loop back, all of a sudden these cars are behind me, and they're jammed in. I can't go anywhere. They can't back up. We are all in these concrete barriers. I see the coach barreling out of the tower, running my way, screaming a list of words that would make a sailor proud in the way that he put them together in conjunction. (laughs) He was so mad. It took him 20 minutes to back all of those cars out of it. I could have avoided all of it if I'd have just stayed in tune to the right voice. Arrogance will tell you, you can compare yourself to other people or you can listen to other people and you can let them make you think that you're okay. When in reality, sin separates us from God and we all need God. But the next thing Paul tells us is that guilt also is a way that we approach sin. And it's when we think that I've sinned so bad that God can't even do anything about this. I mean, there's not enough grace for what I've done. There's not enough grace for the pain that I've brought to myself or other people. Can I just tell you something? You don't understand the depth of grace because there are no levels of grace. You don't need this much grace, and then I need this much grace, and you don't need this much grace. We all need an abundance of grace. And this is what Jesus did when he went to the cross, when he rose from the dead. The Bible tells us that not only did he die for our sins, not only did he 
get placed in a tomb. But the Bible also tells us that in the days between the crucifixion and the resurrection, that Jesus Christ literally descended into hell to set the captives free for all who had gone before him and relied on God in the way that they knew at that moment in time. Jesus Christ took over and set free the captive in hell, came back to this earth, showed himself to be a risen Savior, and ascended into heaven in order to be at the right hand of the Father to provide for us not only abundant life now, but eternal life to come. That's what it means when Pastor Brett was reading to you earlier that God has given him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under earth. They've already been conquered. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because his sacrifice, his resurrection is all sufficient, it is all powerful, and it is all you will ever need for the grace that is required for your life. And you have to believe that, that we all are in need of God. But what God provides us is more than enough. Paul goes on to say that not only do we all need God, but that God will actually use you as an example of his grace. That his intention is to use you in your life as an example of his grace. In verses 6 and 7, he says, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we were united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. That he wants to use us as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness. So one of the things you need to know is so many people, so many people stop short of the fullness of God that he wants to give them. They celebrate the cross, and we should celebrate the cross. We did on Friday. It paid for our sins. It paid the price for our sins. But if you just stop there, you don't walk into the fullness that God has for your life. You see, there's a difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So the best way I know how to explain it is, imagine you are driving your car and you are speeding and you're going through a school zone. Imagine that school zone is 30 miles an hour and you are going 80. And a policeman stops you. You know what happens when you go 80 in a 30 mile an hour school zone? Go to jail. Imagine that policeman comes up to you, they are furious, and they come to you, furious, license registration, they go back to their car, and you know it's over, I'm gone. And then, a few minutes later, you see him come back, and this time he's not mad. This time he's got a smile on his face, and you're really confused. And when he gets to your car, he says, hey, just want to let you know, I'm not going to give you a ticket and I'm not going to arrest you today. I'm, you're free to go. You're like, really? Okay. If you've been in Christian community or, you know, some of you might just go, Fava, that's not what we're talking about here. That's mercy. Not getting what you deserve. But imagine he goes further, further than that. And he says, but you are the 100,000th person we have pulled over. And because of that, you're going to win a million dollars. 
and you've done nothing. Nothing but break the law. Not getting the ticket and not getting arrested is mercy. Getting the million dollars is grace. Getting what you don't deserve. And when you look back at your former life, a lot of you see shame and regret. When Jesus looks back at your life, he sees an example of his magnificent grace in your life. Because what you don't know and what you would never know and you would be so surprised to know is that seated in this room right now, there are former drug addicts, there are former alcoholics, there are former porn addicts, there are former adulterers, there are former rebellious people, liars, there are former thieves, there are former convicts that are in this room today, and you would never know it because the grace of God has been so sufficient and so transformative in their life, and God has taken them from death to life, and God wants to do it for you too. And you may say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. No, listen to me. You don't know what Jesus has done. And you don't know how great his love and great his power is to not only forgive your sins, but to raise you to new life. Which Paul says, he never wants us to forget. And the final thing, he says, that God recreates you with new life, new purpose, new destiny. In verses 8 through 10, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This is literally a picture of recreation and a reminder of creation, when he said he's created us anew. He created us the first time. He created all mankind in the Garden of Eden. He created you and knit you together in your mother's womb so intricately and uniquely designed you. And this picture is that he's now creating us anew. What you need to see is this, is that God has the ability to take every mistake, every pain, every difficulty you have ever endured and redeem it for his purpose somehow. It doesn't deny it, but he knows how to redeem it. He can literally take the brokenness of your past and weave it into the mosaic of your future. And as he does it, he creates something whole and new that is completely unexpected and completely undeserved but he gives it to you anyway. On Friday night, we celebrated what Jesus did for us by paying the price for our sins on the cross and the mercy that he gave us. Today, though, we celebrate the fact that he didn't stay in the tomb, but he walked out. And when he walked out, he gave us the ability to walk out of our death into new life with new purpose, with a new destiny. So many years ago, I was focused on the entirely wrong things. And I wound up succeeding at the wrong things. And then I met Jesus. And somehow, some way, he took the brokenness of my pain. 
He took the failures of my past. He took the sinful ways that I was living in and he completely changed them. Now, I don't worry about failure. I worry about succeeding at the wrong things. Now, I don't fear dying anymore. I fear not truly living. You see, when Jesus walked out of the grave, he walked out to give us wholeness and new life, complete life. That's what Easter is all about. New life, new hope, new peace, new joy, new purpose, new destiny. The Bible tells us that God has made all things new. Now listen, I know the Bible tells us, I know it's true. There's not one person that can come to know Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit convincing them. And I believe the Holy Spirit is in the room right now dealing with your hearts. And as he deals with our hearts, I want to make an appeal to you. On a spiritual, emotional, and even common sense level. If the passage is true that Brett and I read and quoted, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess, eventually, that Jesus is Lord. That it's either going to be by choice or by force. That a person that refuses to bow their knee eventually is going to bow their knee because they'll realize Jesus is Lord. But at that moment in time, it'll be in an eternity without him. But he's still going to be Lord. They're still going to bow. So if every knee is going to bow, why not bow now? And enjoy the relationship God has designed for you from the beginning of time. It's a decision you can make today. And you can move from death to life. Abundant life now. Eternal life to come. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes in the room? Everyone, no one looking around, please. That's you. You know things aren't right between you and the Lord. I'm going to ask you to just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that without you, I am nothing. And I recognize my need for you today. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I don't want to be separated from you any longer. I pray today that as I yield my life to you, I'm asking you to be Lord of my life. And I will follow your word and follow your spirit from this day forward. I ask you that you would give to me the joy of my salvation. I pray now that my life would never be the same as I follow you completely. Now I'm going to ask everyone in the room, just pray this prayer of profession with me. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. One more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now your head's still bowed, eyes still closed. No one looking around except the ministry team and myself. I'm not here to embarrass you or call you out today. Not at all. I want to pray for you this week. But if you know when you came in here today, things weren't right between you and the Lord, and you're making a decision to follow him for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand really high so I can pray for you this week. If that's you, just raise your hand really high. God bless you. Yeah, God bless you. Keep them up just a moment, please. Oh, you're not alone. No. Amen. 
Amen. Keep them up just a moment more. Moving from death to life, best decision you'll ever make right now. Right now. All right, you can put them down. Lord, we thank you right now for the lives that have been changed, for the hope that has been restored, for the grace that has been applied to their lives. I pray now in the name of Jesus that they feel the weight of sin lift off of their shoulders. And I pray that the joy of the Lord invade their heart and their soul right now. I pray, oh God, that you give them a new sense of purpose and destiny. And I pray that the very countenance of their face changes right now as they realize that they are now a son and a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, we bless your name today. And we thank you that your grace is sufficient, that your sacrifice was enough, and that the new life you give us, Lord, is more than enough to give us every sense of worth and purpose and peace that we need in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me, please. As you stand, would you celebrate with me today? 26 people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Listen. You made that decision today. You made the best decision of your life. The Bible says that there is a celebration going on in heaven, and we celebrate with you. At the end of service, in just a moment, some of our grow team are going to be down here. If you made a decision the last few weeks, please come down. Talk with one of them. Give them two minutes of your time, and let them just sort of help you get started on this journey with Jesus Christ. Today, as we finish up, I want you to just think about what your life used to be, what your life is now because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because in fact, you took that step of faith and literally, literally moved from death to life as you ran out of the grave of your past into the hope of your future. I want us to celebrate now in Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord praise in this place. Amen. Come on, let's put those hands together.
together. This is my story, and this is your story. Come on, let's testify. Here we go. I need a rescue. My sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I need a shelter. I was in everybody a couple of things before you go today if you're new here at Mount Perry North welcome we're so glad that you came out to be with us on Easter Sunday morning there's a card in the seat back in front of you and it says I'm new that cards for you if you're new I want you to fill out that card I want you to take it to our connect point which is right out the double doors behind you in the atrium the large room on the on the bottom floor if you've been here for a while and you're ready to take your next step there's a card in the seat back for you it says next steps ah yeah we got this thing figured out if you're ready to take your next step baptism join a life group serving team go to north life a class just for folks that want to know more about the church and more about the gifts god's given them fill out that card take it to the connect point or of course you can drop these in the giving boxes as you go as well if you're online there's a link in the chat that you can click and connect with us that way as well a couple of things coming up pastor kirk talked about the next sermon series coming up don't take my word for it. You're going to get a yellow card when you leave church today. I want you to take that yellow card. Let it remind you to come back next week. But also, if you've got somebody in your life that's a seeker or a skeptic or a conspiracy theorist, invite them to church for this series. Pastor Kurt's going to unpack a lot of good truth from the scriptures and from history and facts and data. It's going to be really, really cool, really incredible. And lastly, our Bloom Women's Conference is coming up just 20 days from today. That's Carrie. She's not crazy, I promise. She's our keynote speaker. She's a Christian comedian, hence the crazy face. So don't be scared off. Ladies, come to the Bloom Conference. Registration is open now. You can find that on our website. We're so glad to have you here with us. Happy Easter, everybody. God bless. Here comes Pastor Kirk to close us out. Thank you so much for being here today. Listen, one of the things that we do here every Sunday is speak a blessing over you, and it's not just an arbitrary blessing. It's found in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. 
where it said, when you put this pastoral blessing, this priestly blessing over someone, that God said, I'll just settle my name on them. So as you leave today, we believe God's name is gonna go with you today. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. He is risen. Happy Easter, everybody. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountperrinnorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at mountperrinnorth.com or you can give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115. Again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next week.